Welcome and thank you for taking the time to listen to the Word of God released through Randolph Barnwell. Randolph is the founder and senior elder of Gate Ministries Durban Central. Be encouraged to access free additional resources for your edification at randolphbarnwell.com. Great grace, peace and mercy from Christ be multiplied to you as you listen to this teaching. Morning, everyone. Excuse my voice. I've been battling bouts of the flu for the past three days and uh, just about coming through it. Um, it's been a wonderful, wonderful week in the Lord. A very busy time, but very productive in Christ. Amen. I want to encourage you that work above the dictates of your flesh. When you work in grace, what is possible in grace overrides what is humanly possible in your flesh. You live life on the plane that you choose. If you want to live as a natural man, then so be it. You decide that. But if you want to go higher, you're going to have to be deliberate in your growth. Now, Woodruff put a post on his site in Facebook in the week, and he said, um, maturity, in his language, he said, the quest for spiritual maturity is not a passive process. Sam Salun said something similar in Sam's words. It's maturity in God is a function of something deliberate and aggressive. So key words here. It's not passive, but it's very deliberate and it's very aggressive. So if you adopt a nonchalant approach, you say, whatever must be, must be. I will just coast along. You're going to get nowhere. Growth and maturity comes to somebody. I want to stress this. You cannot be passive. You cannot just sit and not make decisive steps, decidable steps toward your destiny in God. You decide, I want to be at a particular place in God, and you negotiate your way there deliberately. Nothing happens per chance. You don't wake up one day and you simply arrive and you land at a new place of discipline, at a new place of commitment, at a new place of responsibility. These things are negotiated step by step, day by day diligence, week by week uh, uh, rigor. There's this rectitude. There's what Sean Bluchnot often refers to as the rigors of the task in the kingdom. This is not for the weak. This is for those who are deliberate in their intent to mature. I've never been more vociferous in my determination to grow in Christ. And I want to encourage you. Paul said in Paul's language, the Apostle Philippians 3, he said, I press. I press. And press is not passive, not so. He says, I press toward the mark of the prize for the high calling in, in Christ Jesus. Then you need, need to up your quest for spiritual things. Because for some, I perceive this morning an extreme dryness in the things of the Spirit. It's like a lack of spirit response to things valuable in the kingdom. Right? And I want to encourage you that um, if we're going to migrate, we migrate corporately, but we are only as strong as the weakest elements among us. The weakest points among us compromise the strength that the group represents. And if we are going to be weak, if we are going to be flippant, if we are going to be disdainful and disesteem birthright issues, if you're going to be an Esau in the house, and when birthright is presented to you, sell that for a bowl of soup, then you are not fit for the kingdom. 
Right? He will put his hand to the plow and does what? And looks back. Jesus' words, not fit. This is a day of serious reckoning. It's a day of serious judgment in the house of God. It's a day in God where um, he prunes Gideon's army from 32,000 to 300. He says, those which are eligible, let them come. I need the one loaf, the one bread, the one man company to rout the Midianite enemy. Right? And I'm, I'm, I'm again, I will say this and move on to my message. I need to say this though. I feel the impress of the Lord. If you, you choose the, the level that you want, you decide that. I cannot impose that upon you. It's your choice. Amen? It's your choice for you and your family. Choose that level. So in your bid to represent God, you want to represent his mood and his will to the people that you lead. Right? So Moses, hit the rock or speak to the rock. Yes, hit the rock the first time and water flows. Not so. Second time, Moses is instructed to do what? Speak to the rock. But he's angry. He's angry with who? Frustration with people caused him to disobey God's voice. So the, 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 in terms of the, the rebellious state of the people imposed itself upon the spirit of Moses and he disobeyed God in a matter of being loyal to God. Water did flow, by the way. And guess what? Everyone went home saying, Yay, Moses is the man. Man of God for the hour of power. Right? Why? Needs are met. Leader got the job done. But after everyone gets home, the Bible says, and now Moses called, God called Moses a side. Now let's us talk. You know what God said to Moses? You did not honor me before the people. Think about it. Did not honor me before the people. And this is my new sort of benchmark for leadership. Leaders must never please people. I refuse to be a people pleaser. After all is said and done, when you leave this building and you go home, God must call me aside and say, well done. Okay? Well done, good and faithful servant. Moses came down the mountain, remember? After fasting 40 days there. And what did he find? Debauchery. Perversion. Sexual orgy around the golden calf. Right? Joshua went before him. And Joshua was always tagging Moses because Moses was his spiritual father. Even when, Joseph, when Moses went up to fast, Joshua was right there, went up the mount with him and stayed a little distance, the Bible says. So on their return, Joshua comes down and Joshua says to Moses, uh, Moses, it's the sound of rejoicing and singing in the camp. <laughs> Moses says, it's not as you think. Sometimes the view of the secondary leader is not the view of the primary leader. When the view of the primary leader came down, the Bible says, and Moses was angry, right? Was God angry? Yes, come on, talk to me. Was God angry? Yes. So Moses had to represent as his first order of loyalty, not to people. Joshua was still a developing leader, and so he misinterpreted the sound of joy in the camp. They weren't celebrating the fact that God gave ten commandments, that the law of God was given. They were celebrating carnality. So Moses interpreted that correctly, and he represented the mood of God to the, to the people. Amen? So tell your neighbor, God is in a violent mood. <laughs> There's no way I can say it otherwise, right? I'm trying to get you to be more committed. I've spoken long and hard enough to many of you. I'm your father in Christ. You know what Paul says twice in the book of Thessalonians? 
He says, my little children, I speak to you as a father. To the Corinthians, he said, you have many teachers, but how be it, I am your father in Christ. And he speaks to them in, 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 in terms that are loving, but terms that are very, very um, uh, defining and regulating of their behavior. And uh, the attitudes that the Corinthians were so given over, easily succumbing to, because of the nature of Corinth, the city that they were in. So he was trying to get them to not let the culture of the day dictate their mindset in Christ. And he writes to them, if you know the context of the whole book of 1 Corinthians, it's a very hard book, not so? He speaks very, very, and you know when he wrote 2 Corinthians, he actually almost apologetically says, oh Corinthians, I was hard with you, he says, in my first letter. But he says, I'm glad that I was hard because I see then, now that you have sorrowed. You are sorry for what you've done. And he says, I see that your sorrow has led to repentance. And then he makes his famous Pauline quote. He says, for godly sorrow will work repentance. Right? And he actually says, he says, therefore I was glad I made you sorry with my letter. Never interpret, listen carefully, never interpret the discipline of the Lord vested or via given via a spiritual father, as though you're being punished. It's always, you must interpret it as, this is an expression of the father's love. For who the father loves, he does what? He 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 chastises. Not so? And so, I speak to you in love. All I'm saying to you, everyone in this house, we all need to, everyone do this. We need to up our game. Up our game. Even in my own life, I'm bringing such rectitude, such discipline. I'm amazed at the things I'm able to do with great ease now. Uh, whereas in uh, a lesser state of maturity in my growth in God, it would have been difficult. But now being more mature, I'm able to um, make a decision. And something which would have tripped me up even five years ago has no even uh, chance to trip me up now. Right? I share this with you. You don't need to overcome certain things. You need to outgrow some things. So don't attempt to cross hurdles. Just let things fall off you. I have no desire to play marbles right now. Talk to me when I was five years old. Every excuse to run to a game of marbles. Marbles, I've outgrown them because I've grown up. I don't need to overcome marbles. I've outgrown marbles. Some of your sins, you don't need to strive to overcome them. You just focus on maturing in Christ and the thing will just fall off you. There are some things you can leave behind simply because of your desire. Blessed are they which do hunger and thirst. After what? After righteousness, for they shall be, what? They shall be filled. It's not saying blessed are the righteous, although righteous you must be. For the prayer, the prayer of a righteous man avails much. But in that beatitude, what is praised is not righteousness. What is praised is the quest for righteousness. It says, blessed are they not that are righteous, but blessed are they that do hunger. Blessed are they that do thirst after the thing. For they, the blessing is for them. What is startling to me in the church today, the talking globally, there's, there's no hunger and thirst anymore. Never mind attaining the outcome. There's no even desire to go there. How will you get there if there's no desire? Hey? 
I said to you last week, I can be many things to you, but there's one thing I cannot give you. It's desire. I can ask you to look at my pattern of life and copy me as I copy Christ. Imitate me as I imitate the Lord. I will say to you as your father in the Lord, look at my discipline. Look at my rigor and copy it. See how I love God's word and copy my disposition. See how faithful I am to serving the purposes of God in my spiritual father and copy the same in reference to me. Let the will of the Lord be done and see how God will bless you. Can you read my heart, brethren? Come on, I'm talking to you as, as, as not just a, a pastor. I'm talking to you as the mouthpiece of the Lord. Amen. So we choose the level that we, that we want. Amen. I want to get to the message. Hallelujah. Amen. Hallelujah. Tell your neighbor, upgrade. There's much else in my heart in reference to these things. In Exodus chapter 12, there's so much on my heart in reference to what I want to say, but I'm going to try and abbreviate it. And although they may, I'll try and give you less scriptures to prove the points I want to make and give you the principle. Okay? But we were dealing with principles governing the Passover. Not so? Israel was in Egyptian bondage for 430 years. As Quinton said, Goshen, which was initially a land of provision, evolved into a land of bondage. So the place of God's provision, when it's not fathered, becomes a place of bondage. The land changes character when the land is not fathered. Why do I say that? Because while the first Pharaoh was alive, remember, what did Joseph say? Joseph said to his brothers, God has made me a father to Pharaoh. So while the king of the land is fathered, the land serves God's purpose to provide for the people of God. When that Pharaoh died, the Bible says a new Pharaoh came that did not know Joseph. And I read that phrase, did not know Joseph, as did not know fathering, because Joseph represented fathering principle to the leader. So whenever a person, a context or land is not fathered, that context, person, or institution will be antagonistic toward the purposes of God. I've seen this with people. I've seen this literally with people. Once they disconnect from fathering, they change character, and almost you wonder, how can the person degenerate from what they were to this? And it's, you can trace it back to the, the cutting off from the fathering grace. So the land of bondage becomes a land of enslavement. Um, Jacob knew that they had to go back even to take my bones when you go. Okay? So they knew that that was not the ultimate place of their location. And they had to revert back to a land of the patriarchal fathers, Abram, Isaac, and, and Jacob. Okay? And God's purposes would have been done, would have been done there. I have much else to say about that, but let's just stick with the, with, the, with the emphasis here. So God said to them, after 400 years, which was in essence 430 years, I will take you out. Last week, I discussed with you four factors that governed the timing of the Exodus. We won't go through that now for the, for the sake of time. What I want to talk about today quickly is we're going to start to examine the night before. The night before the Exodus. In fact, it was on the night of the Exodus. What were the requirements that God impressed upon the nation 
that had to be in place prior to the exit. One of the things was celebrate the Passover. We're calling the series Passover Principles. And so let's just read a couple of verses. Exodus chapter 12. The Lord said to Moses and Aaron in the land of Egypt, This month shall be the beginning of months for you. So God was going to recalendar them. No more will they function by Egypt's calendar or timing. God said, I'm going to start you off on a new year. Your new year starts today. Today is the first of the first of the first month for you. What was God doing? God was saying an end to the old season, start of a brand new time span in God. I'm going to cause my people not to be timed from Babylonian systems, but they're going to receive their timing from heaven. Today is the beginning of months. Come on, tell it to someone. Today is the beginning of months. So it's a new year. Tell your neighbor, happy new year. A new start, a new phase. Uh, Who who needs a new, just just new whatever. Who needs new? I need new. You're saying, God, enough of the old. I need something fresh. I need to venture into something brand new. God was saying, I'm going to change 430 years that characterize your existence. One night is going to change everything. Right? All you need is one night. In fact, you cannot delay this decision. Right? If you challenge Moses here, and you say, Moses, I think we need a week to think about it. You didn't have the luxury of a week. In fact, if you had said that, you would have, Moses and Israel would have left Egypt, you would have stayed behind, and even if after a week you decided, I think I will go too, you were going to have to deal with Pharaoh all by yourself, without the grace component resident in Moses. I feel this import on my heart. The, 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 the word of challenge I gave to you earlier is from the Lord. And I'm saying, decide now and come now. You can't even afford, you don't have the luxury to say, I can think about this a week. I need to decide today. Am I going into this new thing or am I not? Am I staying or am I going? Right? It needs to be an instantaneous thing. Right? No more can you pray about things. Now when you hear the word of the Lord, you must still say, yes, I agree. Uh, And obedience must be almost immediate in your heart. Amen? We don't have the luxury to have committee meetings about what God said. <laughs> we can't scrutinize what God said. We have to just hear him and obey. Just hear him and do. Okay? I regard the speaking of the Lord through the mediums that God has placed in my life so seriously. If and when they speak, they just have to hint at it. I'm already putting plans to obey it. I don't rationalize it in my mind. Simply because of the esteem that I accord to the voice that speaks into my heart. Amen? First month of the year to you. Speak, verse 3, to the congregation of Israel saying, On the tenth day of this month they are to each one take a lamb for themselves. Everyone say a lamb for yourself. Right? Each one must take a lamb. I want to focus on the lamb issues for the next few weeks. Right? Take a lamb for yourself. According To what? To their father's households. A lamb for each house. That's a very important statement. Say a lamb for a house. So the father has got a family, right? Each separate houses. Each family must have a lamb. God's requirement, a lamb for a house. 
we're going to apply this symbolically because we corporately represent a house, a bayith in the Hebrew, a household of faith, the church, the family of God here. We're going to take unto this house a lamb, a lamb for each house. I'll talk more about that at another session. If the house is too small, verse 4, for a lamb, so if the house has got the inability, I'm talking naturally now, to consume a whole lamb all by themselves, right? Because they are not big eaters. <laughs> Metabolism is a bit slow in that house. Right? Then it says, he and his neighbor must do what? Nearest his house are to take one according to the number of persons in them. According to what each man would eat or should eat, they are to divide the lamb. Your lamb shall be unblemished male of one year old. You may take it from the sheep or from the goats. Keep it until the 14th day of the same month. Keep it until the 14th day of the same month. Then the whole assembly of the congregation of Israel is to kill it at twilight. Moreover, you shall take some of the blood and put it on the two doorposts and the lintel of the houses in which they are to eat it. They shall eat the flesh that same night, roast it with fire, shall eat it with unleavened bread and bitter herbs. Do not eat any of it raw. Or, sorry, do not eat any of it raw or boiled at all with water, but rather roast it with fire so that its head and its legs, along with its entrails. Tell you never eat the whole lamb. Tripe and all, entrails. God said, I want this animal eaten. Trotters. <laughs> Tail, head, everything must be consumed. The commandment of the Lord. This lamb must be eaten completely. No one is to have favorite parts. You can't have lamb shank and not want the entrails. God said, everybody internalize completely the entirety of the lamb. Not just the parts. Noch al, eat it with bitter herbs. Noch al, eat it with unleavened bread. Right? I'll explain the symbolism later. Do not eat of it, uh, verse 10, you shall not leave any of it over until morning. This is one meal, no leftovers. Right? Eat the whole thing, right? No leftovers, but whatever is left of it until morning, you shall burn with, with fire. Now you shall eat it in this manner. How must you eat? It says your loins girded, your sandals on your feet, your staff in your hand, and eat it not leisurely, eat it quickly, eat it in haste. This is the Lord's Passover. They're all symbolic meaning for all of them. But I want you to focus on one specific aspect. You see, the internalizing of the lamb in their context was God's system of bringing them protection and immunity to their journey. Because the angel of death would come and kill the firstborn in every house on whom there was no blood on the lintels and on the, on the doorposts. So it, you... For the blood to work, you could not just kill the lamb. You had to obey it completely. For some households would have maybe just killed the lamb and put the blood on without eating the lamb. You had to obey the commandments completely to get complete protection and immunity from God. It was God's way of preserving his firstborn. 
Because when he said to Moses, to Pharaoh, let my son go, my, my firstborn go. I'll bring my son out of Egypt, the Bible says. Right? So God was calling, he was extracting what out of Egypt? An identity. God wanted son out from slave. God, want, God was extracting an identity. God is calling for every single one of us here today, brethren. God is saying, he's calling your name. He says, my son, my daughter, I want you to come into the fullness of who you are as my son. Right? I need you to leave Egypt. Last week I spoke about Egypt representing the flesh and uh, the soul realm. And how we need to exit that realm and function in the spirit. Right? Now today I'm asking, let's venture forth into our identity as the son. To do that, however, you have to internalize the culture of the lamb. Now, of all the animals that um, are available for choice, God chose a lamb to be the sacrificial animal. In some instances, there's a goat as well that was permissible to be sacrificed. But the lamb has got various characteristics that make it the ideal animal to be sacrificed for the atonement of, of sin. We will deal with the characteristics later on. But there's things like, just to list some of them, innocence, there's, in this case, an unblemished, unspotted nature, purity, right? There's um, a character that is flawless. There's dumbness or muteness. The Bible says, as a lamb led to the slaughter, he did not open his mouth. There's no retaliation, an attempt to justify yourself, right? Refuse to open his mouth. A lamb lives to die, not so. Imagine if a lamb in that culture is born. And you ask the lamb, how's it, lamb? He says, meh, right? How are you, meh? You know what your destiny is, meh? You're born to die. (laughs) In other words, the reason why you are here, you are a substitutionary animal. You're going to have to give your life so that others can live. Your blood is going to save a whole nation. If you're going to be lamb-like, you're going to have to live like that, brethren. You're going to live in the culture where you're going to make personal sacrifices for the corporate good of, of others. Amen? Tell your neighbor, amen. <laughs> you're going to have to, you know, we have to be, I'm not calling you to be a doorstep, but some of us don't give any expression to this reality. I, I'm, I'm a substitutionary person. Don't mind crucify me so that others can go free. Don't mind going the extra mile, paying the sacrifice, um, living a great sacrifice, just so that the purposes of God can be pushed forward. I am lamb-like. Right? I am lamb-like. But, okay, let me get to my point. We'll discuss all of that later, but my point is this. In Revelation 14 and verse 1, Luke, in Revelation 14 and verse 1, I want to just focus on today and perhaps next week on what kind of mentality is required in the lamb if the lamb is to be lamb-like and do all that God has expected this lamb to do and to function. Revelation 14 one says, I looked and behold what? The lamb was standing on where? On Mount Zion. Zion is a perfected place of spiritual development. I won't have time to go to that. It represents the church in the last days. A place so bright with light that there's no room for darkness. That's Zion. It's a fortress place. It's high. It's elevated. It's a mount of the Lord in the last day to which all other mounts people will come streaming up to. 
Who's standing on this mount? The Lamb. Who is the Lamb referencing here? Jesus Christ, right? So the Lamb is standing on Mount Zion. And then it says, And with Him are who? 144,000. The 144,000, the Jehovah's Witnesses will tell you that this number represents the number of people that will enter heaven. It's only going to be 144,000 for all the millions of people that lived in eons past that will make it, right? They are highly deceived. Everything in the book of Revelation is symbolic. Literally everything. It has to be interpreted allegorically. Symbolically, 144 is 12 times 12 times 1,000. 12 times 12, 144 times 1,000 will give you 144,000. The number 12 in the Bible depicts an apostolic community. How many apostles were there? 12 apostles. The number 12 also depicts government. 12 times 12 means that principle is being amplified. Times 1,000, it's been exponentialized. It doesn't speak to a literal confined number. It speaks to, listen carefully, it's a community of people that God throughout the ages from Adam has uh, to the end of the age that God has raised up that are apostolic in their mentality. And what does the, the apostolic allude to? The apostolic means many things, but a succinct way of understanding it is the apostolic is about authenticity. Everyone say authenticity. Say genuineness. What do apostles seek to do? They are sent ones, listen carefully, they just want to bring the church back to rightness. Bring the church back to genuineness. Bring the church back to exactitude. Bring the church back to rectitude. Bring the church back to simply doing the will of the Father. So we have this community of people, and where are they standing? What does it say? It says they're standing with the Lamb. Now listen carefully. You cannot stand with the Lamb and not be like Him. They're not standing apart from the Lamb. They're standing with the Lamb. Tell your neighbor, you are in that number. So in this end time Mount Zion church of the last day, the perfected Mount Zion church is going to have as its predominant characteristic lamb. Eat the whole lamb. Right? Eat the whole lamb. You know what, what the implication is? You do not decide which parts of the lambs you want. Because there are some unsavory Difficult parts to assimilate. There are some truths in God's word that are hard for you even to agree with me when I teach you. Say, yes, I know that's true. And you will be this fight within you to rebel against it. Kick against the pricks. Put the, the stuff in front of you to eat. You say, no. Right? And you think that your internal constitution will be, make, will be unpalatable for you to assimilate that into your internal system. But I want to encourage you. This is the time to accept even the most difficult parts of God's word and to agree with them. This is a warning. Unless we do, there will be no immunity. You know what? As Quinton was reading, dawned upon me. The reconciliation with Joseph took place in the, it seems like the end of the second year of the famine. Hmm? Because there were still five years left. Right? So the famine had lasted two years before the brothers decided, let's go down to Egypt. Right? And the famine would, would worsen. I want to ask you, how worse must God make your famine for you to make your migration? 
If I were the brothers, the first day the family would have hit, would have made our journey there because news spread. Egypt got the resource. Sam Solon said this to us. He said, if you are dry, it means because you are disobedient. He said this at ALS. In your notes that I gave you, read it. He said, if you are dry, it means you are disobedient. And God will retract his presence from you, not to show you up. He said he removes his presence, hoping that you would run after him. But some, he removes presence, and they still stay there, deciding, I don't need God. You know, you know I don't know about you, but if God ever takes his presence from me, I will never function. I would fast for 40 days if I have to. I'll put a pause on every single thing in my life, cry unto my God, Lord, I, it's, in, it's inconceivable for me to function like this. Amen? So tell your neighbor, run after God. Okay, time is going. The, the lamb, you stand with the lamb. Amen? Stand with the lamb on Mount Zion. Now what name does the lamb have on his forehead? It says, having his name, that's his name, the name of the lamb, two names, right? Having his name and the name of his father written on there foreheads, right? So you have the name of the lamb and you have the name of his father written on your forehead. Quickly, Ephesians chapter 3 and verse 14 and 15 says the following. Ephesians 3 verse uh, 14 and 15. In your house churches, you're going to, I have no, I'll email you some notes, but in your house churches this week, you're going to discuss some of these issues. For this reason, Paul says, I bow my knee before the Father. So, and then he says in the next verse, from whom every family on earth, in heaven and on earth, derives its name. So picture the scene. Paul says, I bow my, what, my knee, I come down to who? Father. Everyone say Father. A dude like to say Father. Picture what the mind of Paul, I bow my knee to Father. And he says, every family in heaven and every family in earth. So that means there are families in heaven. Right? The arrangement of heaven is by families. Every family in earth and every family in heaven does what? Derives. Now, <laughs> derives is like draws its identity from. Who shapes your identity? Father. If there is family in the earth, what must every family be characterized by? Father. Right? Do you know that a father plays a predominant role in, in ensuring that the family is properly characterized, right? properly natured. Right? And I like this. Families in the earth must not derive their name. Name. You want to say name? name. Talk about name in a moment. Their name from any other principle except the principle of father. Okay? So every family in heaven and earth derives its name from, from father. Now, we, the church, must be fully baptized in that name. Matthew 28, verse 19 and 20, uh, verse 18, from verse 18 onwards. It says, we know the scripture so well. It says, Jesus came and he spoke to them saying, all what? All authority in heaven, so it has been given to me in heaven and on earth. Go therefore and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in water. doesn't say that. It says baptizing them in the Holy Ghost. doesn't say that. Baptizing them in suffering. doesn't say that. 
It says, baptize him in what? What is the element into which you must be dipped? Say the name. Right? This baptism is one of the most least understood baptisms. Many people know water baptism, fire baptism, baptism into the body of Christ, baptism into the power of the Holy Ghost. Matthew 28, known as the Great Commission by theologians, is not a reference to water baptism. Water baptism is nowhere mentioned. Right? It's a baptism into the name of the entirety of the Godhead, into the name of Father, into the name of Son, and into the name of the Holy Spirit. Next verse. Teaching them to observe all things that I commanded you, and lo, I am with you even until the end of the age. So how do I baptize people into the name? It's by teaching. Because it says, baptize in the name of Father, in the name of Son, in the name of Holy Ghost. And it says, teach them to observe all things whatsoever I have commanded you. So I want to just focus in brief on what does it take to stand with the Lamb at the end time church. You see, your, your forehead is your thinking, your mentality. How can God scar our minds with his nature as Father? If I open up your mind, if I had the capacity to open up your brain, what should I see there? Father. You are Father besotted. You are Father fixated. You are Father focused. You are Father obsessed. Obsessed with your Heavenly Father. I'm talking about your Heavenly Father. Right? Your Father must be your world. Tell your neighbor, my father is my world. My heavenly father is my world. So everything I do, if I function in life, I function with the mentality that I am a son of God. God is my father. God is my father. I am his son. Okay? I can't this morning get into the essence of what I'm trying to communicate. Let me prepare you for next week by giving you just three or four principles. Is that fine? Amen? So prepare your hearts in terms of this. Listen carefully. Each of you must have the two names on your forehead. The name of the Lamb. By the way, the name of the Lamb is Word of God. Revelation 19.13 tells us that. I'll talk about that in a few weeks to come. Word of God or Son, depending on how you view the Scriptures. Right? I really believe it's Son whose name comes forth from the Word. Right? And then the name of his father, okay, on your forehead. I want to discuss just quickly now, what does the word name imply? What does it mean? Some of you know this, but I need to lay it out. Because next week, when I extrapolate the principles, I need you, everyone, to be on board. Let me just, before I do so, let me say this. If you get a revelation of this truth, you will not worry another day in your life. When you and my father becomes more than a song we sing. When it becomes my mentality becomes the lens through which I look at life. The word name, the word name means at least four things in scripture. 
whenever you read anything in the Bible and it says the name of, you could apply these four principles to the text. Right? The first one is nature, character, or essence of the person. The nature, the character, or the essence of the person. So when you say your name is Father, you are saying, alluding to your nature, your character, and your essence. Not so? Remember Jacob, what Jacob's name means, what? Supplanter, conniver, deceiver. He wrestled with the angel on Mount, on the Mount, which he named Peniel, and his nature was changed, and the angel renamed him. Remember? And the angel renamed him from Jacob to Israel. What does Israel mean? One who prevails, or one who has striven with God and has prevailed. Or it means one who has power with God. So when the man's nature changed, his name changed. So the word name has always got to do with an allusion to nature. Not so? Nature. Okay? So when you say God, Jesus taught us to pray our Father, who art in heaven, hallowed be your name. What name? Not Jesus. Name there is. Father's name must be, be hallowed. I shared with you a few verses via the group this morning, John 17. He, in his prayer in the garden, he, he says things, O righteous Father, O, o holy Father, keep them in your name. He says, I have kept them in your name. They are in the world. The evil one is there. But so long as they remain in your name, the name of Father, they will be fine. He was convinced. In Hebrews 2, we'll look at the scripture next week. You know what he said? The son said to the father. He said, Father, I have declared your name to my brethren. Made known your name to my brothers. If your father fixated this, you must always bear in mind that the nature of your father is loving, he's caring, he's protective, he's source. The Hebrew Abba, the root Ab, means the source from which everything flows. He is not bereft of resource. He's bountiful. You cannot exhaust his supply. He's a good, good father. Not so, as you say. When you say father, you know in the Lord, so-called Lord's Prayer, the first port of call, Jesus said, when you pray, pray like this, our, Jesus said, even as you enter prayer, what must fill your world is a view of your dad. Let that condition, and if, if your view of your, of, of, of your dad is complete, it, it will actually condition how you, how you pray. You will not pray as a beggar, you will pray as a son. Amen. So your father is your... So it alludes to nature, character, and essence. Secondly, it alludes to function. Function and destiny. You know this. Function and and destiny. Joseph. What does Joseph mean? The name? God adds. Not so? God adds. Um, Joseph's name in Acts chapter 4. This is not Joseph in Genesis. Joseph in the book of Acts. In Acts 4, his name was changed to Barnabas. The Barnabas we read about, he's known as Barnabas predominantly, but his prior name was Joseph. God adds. What does Barnabas mean? Son of encouragement or son of consolation. Why did the apostles rename the man? 
They had no reason to. The twelve, Peter, James, and John of them said, you guys come here. No more is your name Joseph. You are now called Barnabas. Why? And, you know, names for us are descriptive terms, but names in that culture, you're basically highlighting one of two things we learned so far. The character of the person or the function. They were saying to him, you're going to migrate from God adds to you now going to become a son of encouragement. Right? And when, when, when the church at Antioch was founded, right, the apostles sent Barnabas there to strengthen the Bible, says, and encourage the brothers. It actually says this, and when Barnabas came down, he saw the grace of God and he greatly encouraged the brothers. What was, that's Acts 11, uh, Acts 9 to 11. In Acts 4, the apostles saw this. It says, no more Joseph, now start to live in your function. Your name is, you're going to be a great encourager of the saints. So the name pointed to a function. The name pointed to a destiny. So whenever you reference his name, Father, you are saying, I opt for prioritizing your will above my own. I bow. Let your function uh, supersede my intention. That's why Jesus in the garden said, if it's possible, Father, take this cup from me, but not when, not my will be done, but your will. I want to encourage you, saints, whenever you bow before the Father, it's always submission of your will to His. You can never ever reference Him and say, Father, without in the back of your mind saying, whatever you say, I will do. Because I'm referencing you in terms of your descriptor, Father, because it's who you are, it's who you are, it's who you are, we sang. It's your nature, it's your essence, it's your character, it's your being. But added to that, Father, whatever you require this son of yours to do, I bow my knee in deference to your will. That I will do. Hmm? In fact, in the Lord's Prayer, what comes first? Our Father, who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Next thing, thy will be done. You can never ever reference Father without prioritizing the doing of the function of the Father. This is even before give me, give me, give me, give me. That's coming later on in the prayer. The fixation in the Lord's, so-called Lord's Prayer is on the, the person of the, the Father. I remind you, remind your neighbor and say, decide what level you want to live. Because now I, I, I view a radical alteration in expressions of obedience. You know why? No more will economy, money dictate to me. If Father requires it, the Son says, at your bidding, at your command, I do. Not so? No, you see, that's why every family must derive its name, the nature. It's like you must be baptized. Matthew 8, Matthew 8, baptized in this name. When we baptize you in water, we dip you, we submerge you in, and we take you out. When you come out, it's obvious to us you've been baptized, not so? It's obvious to me if a person has been immersed in the power of the Holy Ghost, baptized in the Spirit. There are certain signs that follow these things. 
But so too must it be said of us. This group has clear signs that they are so father fixated. They just want to do the father's will. They're not even counting the cost. If the father says it, then so let it be. Hmm? Do you agree in your hearts? If it's my father's will. You know, even if it kicks against the pricks. Because in my own heart, uh, when Jesus prayed, he said, if it's possible, take this cup of suffering away from me. But not, my will be done, but your will be done. Right? Not my will, but, but your will be done um, in the earth. This is a son's preoccupation with father. Thirdly, so we have the nature. What did I say? Nature, character, essence. Secondly, it's function, the will of the person. Thirdly, it's authority. Everyone say authority. You notice how Jesus started Matthew 28, 18. All authority has been given unto me, both in the heavens and on the, on the earth. Right? Now, whenever we say in the name, we always reference by the authority of. If you read in the name, you always append to that in your mind by the authority of. Have you often heard people say, when you go there, just mention my name. <laughs> and things will happen for you. <laughs> just use my name and you'll get in. Right? Because people associate a certain reputation with the name. So there's, it's not just reputation, it's a level of authority, right? So if you ask anything in my name, I will do it, uh, Jesus said. Let me give you a couple of verses here. Acts 5.40 says, They took his advice, and after calling the apostles in, they flogged them and ordered them not to speak in the name of Jesus, and then they released them. To speak in the name is to speak by the authority of the one who sent you. When they said this, don't speak in his name, they knew the culture. They knew you guys are not speaking of your own. You were authorized. You're speaking as delegated officials on behalf of a greater. And they were trying to discount and cut off that process with the apostles. Don't speak by that name or in in that name. Mark 16, 17. Mark 16, 17 says this. These signs will accompany those that believe. In my name they will cast out demons. They will speak with new tongues. They will pick up serpents, and if they have drink any deadly poison, it will not hurt them. They will lay hands on the sick, and they will recover. So when we, for example, in the name of Jesus, cast out a demon out of a man, we say, in the name of Jesus, come out. Or we say to a sick person, in the name of Jesus, be healed. What are you saying? Not by my authority. Not by my declaration. It's by the authority of of one higher than I, I command you in his name, come out. Right? So in the name always references a higher level of authorization or authority. Okay? Higher level of authorization or authority. Next week, I will speak to you about how we position ourselves as sons in reference to the name of Jesus and the name of Father. So I know some questions in your mind right now. Right? We'll, we'll talk about that. 
Mark 9, 38, quickly. I need to read these scriptures so you, you get the principle. Mark 9, verse 38 and 30, 39. Mark 9, 38 and 39. Jesus said to him, Teacher, we saw someone casting demons. How? Come on, say it. In your name. We saw someone casting out demons in your name. We tried to prevent them because he was not following us. Okay, these disciples were jealous. There's another group <laughs> casting out demons in your name. They're not part of us. Let's, let's stop that. Stop that. Shut that church down. You know? And then Jesus said this. No, 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 guys. Um, do not hinder them. For there is one who will perform miracles in my name. And, be a, and there's, there's no one who will perform a miracle in my name and be able soon afterwards to speak evil of me. So, um, Jesus is saying there's an authority that they have. They, they, they've accessed a revelation. Attendant with my name. Leave them be. In another gospel, Jesus said, um, it's fine. They're not against us. They're not against us. They're surely with us. Second right? Thessalonians 3.6 Now we command you, brethren, how? In the name of the Lord Jesus Christ. Is Paul stuck for words? Is he just filling the scriptures? What is he saying? He's saying, I speak to you by the authority of the Lord Jesus Christ. Keep away from every brother that leads an unruly life and not according to the tradition which you have received from us. Right? Very strong command. I don't want to go into the content. I'm just wanting to, know, wanting to communicate the principle. Paul is saying, I speak to you not by my own authority, but I speak to you by the authority of the Lord Jesus Christ. Everyone say authority. So please, I'm, I'm, I'm laboring the point because... Some of us need to hear the same thing over and over and over and over again until it, we walk in it. Amen? I want to encourage you now, if you encounter any aspect of God's will that's out of sync with his requirement, like sickness, illness, disease, demon possession, you can assert your delegation authority in God and bring realignment to that case. Amen? Heal the sick, cast out devils, let the kingdom come. Amen? It's our privilege it's our order in God. Okay? Whatever you ask, oh, sorry, um, John 14, verse 13 and 14. Jesus said this. Whatever you ask in my name, I will do it. Why? I like this. Whatever you ask in my name, I will do it. So that the, the Father will be glorified in the Son. Sometimes we quote half scriptures. Whatever we ask in his name, if your request, the result of it, when it's fulfilled, if it's going to lead to the Father being glorified in the Son, God will do it. If the Father is going to be glorified by his answering your request. Not so? If you ask for your selfish indulgence with no pursuit of the kingdom, right, it will not be answered. Right? Um, I wrote something on Facebook to the effect, I think I put it on the church WhatsApp group as well, that God is under no obligation to supply the need of anyone for whom his kingdom and righteousness is not a priority. God is under no obligation to meet your need. If, your, if, if in your mind, the pursuit of his kingdom, the pursuit of his righteousness 
is not a priority. God is not obliged to answer you. Because what does the Bible say? Seek ye first the kingdom and his righteousness, and all these things will be added unto you. Amen? All these things will be added unto you. But I just like the phrase, whatever you ask, by my authority. Now even that phrase, you can, in terms of what we've just learned, name, come on, work with me. Name means what? Number one? Come on, nature, character. Number two? Function or will. Now number three? Authority. You can take that same scripture. Ask anything in my name. In other words, ask anything in keeping with my character. Ask anything that is in tandem with my will, what I want done. Ask anything by my authority. And he says, I will. I will do it. Okay, you can take all the name scriptures and apply these, these principles to them. Okay. There are many others. I'll just push up time. Let me do the last principle and we'll close. The fourth principle is... Let me just, okay, I'll come back to the one verse. The fourth uh, symbolic meaning of the term name in the Bible is representation or identity. So that's the fourth one. Representation or identity. Matthew 10.40 says the following. Now this you've got to learn. This you've got to catch. You've got to leave this building with this firmly embedded in your heart and mind this morning. Right? He who receives you receives me. That's an amazing statement just right there. God is saying, Jesus is saying, whoever receives you receives me. In other words, if the person one receives me, unless they receive you, they can't. I, you come as my representation. And I told you a few weeks ago, you don't even come apart from me. God is saying, when I send you, you don't exist separately. you there and I'm here. God is saying, no, I will refuse to pitch up unless you pitch up and I come as you. The, rep- the one representing is not disparate or apart from the one who sends. Get the sender and the sent one. But the sender, God in this case, pitches up when the sent one arrives. The people, however, to receive the sender must receive the sent one. You cannot want the one who sends, without receiving the one he sent. So the one who sent, that's why Paul says in Galatians, when I came to you, you received me how? As Christ him, as Christ himself. As an angel, even as Christ himself. We know this truth. Many of us in this congregation know this truth. But it, it, it hasn't become a revelation to us yet. Right? If it was a, truly a revelation... If Jesus physically pitched up as the guest speaker for church this morning, guess what? <laughs> there would be greater vigilance, greater attention, greater compliance. Why? But he's saying, no, I'm not going to come physically. I will come as my sent one. So if you reject the sent one and the word of the sent one, you're rejecting me. We know these things, brethren. But for many of us, it hasn't become a revelation. Revelation. So... Not everyone, he who receives you receives me, and he who receives me receives the one who sent me. Then, next verse. He who receives a prophet in the name of a prophet receives a prophet's reward. He who receives a righteous man in the name of a righteous man receives a righteous man's 
reward. Notice, everyone say in the name of. You receive a prophet in the name of a prophet. You receive a righteous man in the name of a righteous man. The prophet comes to you, you receive him as such in the name in which he comes. You get the reward of the name in which he comes. The righteous man comes to receive him as a righteous man. You receive the reward of righteousness. So when he comes, he comes in representation of a principle. The prophet comes as a representative of the prophetic dynamic. If you see it as such, and we taught you this principle, there's no reward if there's no recognition. You must first recognize, then you get the reward. Not so. Recognize, and then you get the reward. But recognition is an act of the Spirit. Recognition is discerned. Nobody can teach you this. Galatians 2, Paul says this. When Barnabas and I came down to Galatia, right? Peter, James, and John, three, he says, which seemed to be pillars, the three inner circle, the inner circle of the disciples. Paul says they seem to be pillars. They, it says they discerned. It was a discerned. They discerned the grace of God given to me. And so what did they do? They extended unto me and Barnabas the right hand of fellowship. Right? So grace was discerned. Okay? Now I want to encourage you, train your eyes to discern grace. Not race. Hmm? Look beyond the natural identity of a man. And see the grace in him. Not anything physical. What do you see? Do you see a nice, handsome, young, colored fellow preaching the word of God? (laughs) What do you see? Ask him, what do you see? Hmm? You see, however you see, that's what you're going to get. If you receive the prophet in the name, he comes. And I come to you, I stand before you in the name. Father, this morning, if you see me as such, you get the benefit of the name in which I come. You won't get Randolph's benefit. You get the benefit of the sender. You get the benefit of the name that sent the sent one and which the name in which the sent one stands to represent him. Yeah? This is an amazing principle. You know, when I first encountered the apostolic, this was my principle. I thought this was the be-all and end-all of things. I thought this is a pin code. You know the pin code to access the funds? I thought this is the ideal pin code to access things spiritual. It for me was the most powerful principle that revolutionized my thinking, my devotion, my loyalties, my obedience, my commitments, my levels of sacrifice. If I see the principle, I don't hear a request from a man. I hear heaven. I hear heaven released a, 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 a sounded a request, voiced through a man. But I receive the request, not in the name of the man, but in the name of the one in whom he comes. So everyone say representation. I want to encourage you, representation. Right? All of these principles will make more sense as we, as we, as we go along. John 13, verse 20, quickly. Okay, we promised you five minutes. John, John 13, 20. <coughs> My voice is really going. It's time to shut down. Truly, I, truly, I say to you, whosoever receives the one I send, receives me. And whoever receives me, 
receives the one who sent me. This can't make it more clearer. Jesus is saying to your, his disciples, you, I send you, you go. If they receive you, they receive me. In the process of receiving me, they're receiving Father. This must become a... Otherwise, you're only going to see men. Because I never want to take his place. I'm not saying equate us with God. No, I'm not saying that at all. All we are saying is deem it with the same import as you would if though God personally sent you the email from his heavenly computer. God is speaking to us. We're not receiving... The, you know what Paul said to the, to the Thessalonians? Read it. He says, I'm glad... When you receive the word, you received it not as the word of men, but for what it really is, the word of God, which effectually works in you. The word only effectually works in you, dependent on how it's received. Hmm? Amen? Everyone say represent. One last verse. Ephesians 1 verse 18. I think it's 2.18. Yes. Through him, we both have access to It says, in one spirit to the, the hymn reference here is Jesus Christ. So by the Son, watch, through the Son, we both have what? Access to, it says access in the spirit. What's the destination? The point of access is not the final destination. The point of access is the entry point. Who is the destination? Come on, say it louder. Who is the destination? Who is seeking worshippers? Jesus, I know I wish I could get into this principle because of time. Jesus, the Son of Man, listen carefully, came as a man. Please, you all must hear this carefully. He came as the Son of Man, being the Son of God from eternity past. He took on human flesh, and he was a man. In his humanity, he lived on this planet for 33 and a half years before he died, and he exited the earth. But while living as a man, for the brief time he was on the planet, he showed men how to live as sons of God. We often say the son of God became the son of man to show sons of men how to live like sons of God. He came to model for us everything that Adam should have been the first man. He was the last Adam or the second man. Jesus is the last Adam. There's no other Adam after him being the last, but he's the second man. We're the corporate man, by the way, in Christ. And in his son of madness, in his humanity, he demonstrated how to live successfully as a son of of God. He died for your salvation. He died to redeem all men back unto himself. The spirit of Christ has got the power to receive all spirits of men. Listen to me. He assembles our spirits in Christ in a corporate body called the church. The corporate church. The multi-membered body of of Christ. In this economy, his intent, his sole objective, is to by the Spirit lead everything and reconcile everything to who? Father. It's the objective of the Son to do that. As he knows the Father so intimately, he wants every son to come into that same economy. So in your salvation, the name, I'll talk about this next week, The name of Jesus is powerful. There is no name given under heaven and under earth whereby men must be saved. But by that name. In my name you shall cast out devils. Not so. 
There is salvation in no other name. The name of Jesus is necessary for your entrance into salvation and for your living and overcoming life. Cast out devils. Command the sick to be healed. But it's, it's designed for you to enter salvation and to live the overcoming life. But the name Father is designed for your maturation. The name Jesus is designed for your salvation. Your initial entry into it. But if you stop there, and you know why? You know, if it ever bothered me, because I love worship, historically in the church, if you, if you list the names of Jesus, the songs relative to the name of Jesus, versus songs relative to the name of Father, it tips in favor of, of Jesus. Not so? Nothing wrong with that per se. Because his whole intent is to lead people back to the. But I want to prophesy that we're now entering a dispensation where there's a pursuit on the destiny. Now that we've come in, we're going to say, let us pursue the ultimate end that the Son, the Lord Jesus, intended for us to go to. What the Bible says at the end of the age, he will gather all things to himself and even kingdoms. And the Bible says he will present everything to his Father. In Hebrews 2, it says, Look, Father, these are all the children that you have given me. I'll give them back. Hey? Everyone say, Father. I can't tell you how I love Father. I love Jesus. The Lord Jesus Christ is critically essential in his humanity for my salvation. He's my eldest brother in the family. He's the firstborn in rank. Firstborn from creation. Firstborn from the dead. He's got a unique place that no one will ever challenge. We worship him. Angels worship him. In the book of Revelation, they bow, casting their crowns before him, saying, Worthy is the... But what has the Lamb ever said? Worthy is the Lamb whose mindset is fixated with his Father. And then, towards the end, he stands with his apostolic company. His name and their name on there, the name of their father on their foreheads, standing with him in the same position. Amen? I want to encourage you. Be father fixated. Come on, tell me, what do they represent again? Number one, what is the name? Nature, character. Number two? Function and will. Number three, authority. Number four, representation and identity. Hallelujah. <laughs> Don't you just love the Father? Now when I pray, what a joy it is to pray these days. What a sheer privilege to come before him and say, Abba, source. My Father, my Father. I do nothing Unless I see my father do. I can't tell you the impulses of emotion I feel when I think about him these days. And the kinds of prayers I've been praying to him. And whatever is your will, I will do it. That my representation of you must be right. Must be accurate. For by Jesus, through one spirit, we have access to the father. Write it big if you have to. I don't care what you need to do. Put a big post in your lounge, in your bedroom. Put Father every time you wake up. See that. Let it scar your mind. I have a daddy. I have a papa. I have someone that is intimately 
concerned about every detail of my life. My Father, He will never leave me. He will never forsake me. He will never leave me destitute. I have a nature that I must ascribe to. I have His function or will I must bow to. I have His authority I must function in. And I must receive the representations by which He come. And I too in my world represent Him accurately wherever I go. My Father is my world. Father, how excellent is your name in all the earth. Out of the mouths of babes and sucklings, you have ordained strength to still the avenger. O Lord, our Lord, what is man that you are mindful of him? What are the sons of men that you visit him? You've crowned us with such glory, honor. We thank you that your name is hallowed amongst us. We hallow your name. We, We deem it so high. Keep us in your name, like your son prayed. Keep us in this economy. Let us not leave this frame of mind. We love you, dear Father. Saturate and baptize us in your name. Immerse our thinking. Immerse decisions. Immerse levels of obedience in reference to who you are. Regulate and govern my world. I bow to you. Like Paul bowed before the Father, from whom all the families, both in heaven and earth, derive their name, their nature, their authority, their function. Father, we bow to you. We bow before the Father of lights, in whom there is no shadow of turning, neither variableness. We extol your name. Everyone just lift up your hands to the Lord. Let's just pray the prayer of the Our Father up to just the first three lines. Let's say it together. Our Father which art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. I'm going to say it again. Lift up your hands from your heart, from the depths. And it mustn't just be like a ritual. When you say that, hallowed be your name. Just let that truth penetrate the depths of him, the inner recesses of your heart. Let's say it together. Our Father, which art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Let that be so. Let it be done, Father. In your name we pray. Amen. Amen. Amen.